trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, I welcome you to the show. Hey, if you're a new wrong thinker or a longtime seasoned wrong thinker, you are in good company. And I uh, welcome seasoned wrong thinker Gary Welch uh, joining me today. I don't read more into that, Gary, than than what I'm saying. You've just you've been practicing this for a while. You're you're not exactly a noob. And I wanted to even talk to you about today's show, considering the topics we're going to cover. What happens when you're a wrong thinker, but everybody catches up to you, and now you're a right thinker? Should we rebel against that and go back to being wrong thinkers and Oof. say, "No, no, no, you're all wrong." <laughs> That's it. No, that's a good question. And, and, and perhaps this would be a good opportunity for those who are kind of new to the program and new to the concept of, of wrong think to explain why do we engage in wrong think? Now, I, I have my own ideas, but Gary, um, you've been at this longer than I have. I think you're better at it than I am. What, how would you explain it to somebody if you were inviting them? Hey, come engage in wrong think. What's a good way to describe to them what we mean by that phrase? In that there is a status quo mainly coming from mainstream media and political figures, and now we're even seeing the corporate sector get involved with that, where they want you to think a certain way. And and because of that, when you oppose that, when you challenge that, and when you even think, just basically ask for like clarification of, well, prove it, show me the facts or something like that. They tend to get really upset with that, and they would classify you as someone that is a wrong thinker or going against this, the status quo, going against the stream, that type of individual. And I, I don't look at it as being necessarily a rebellious thing. I just think of it as being a logical, reasonable thing of saying, show me the evidence. If you can convince me otherwise, I'm more than happy to jump on board with you. But until I see something that backs that up, I want to challenge you. No, I agree. And we have some marvelous wrong think topics to cover today. Um, one of the things I want to start with, let's let's start a little closer to home um, in our home state of Utah. Right now, we have, uh, you know, the legislature's in session. There are various bills that they're addressing. One of the bills that they have been addressing and the newly elected governor, Spencer Cox, is adamant about vetoing is a bill that would restrict biologically born males from competing in women's sports as a transgender. And Gary, I I really want to ascribe the best intentions to Spencer Cox. I did not support him in the election, um, but I'm I'm trying to, you know, I want him to succeed. I want him to do a good job. But he's saying, nope, we can't have this. He will veto it. He cried as he talked about why he would veto it. It, to me, it just comes off as woke. He is signaling. and, And there's no signal like a virtue signal of a person who is woke. Tell me about your thoughts on this. Uh, Have we reached the point where it's time to bring legislative action to bear to make sure that uh, girls or women who want to compete in sports don't have to go up against individuals who were biologically male when they were born? So this is a situation where you have, because the government has interacted into the sports arena, if they just stayed out of it, I could care less. 
if you guys want to say it's okay to have men compete with women in a sports activity, go for it. It's up to you guys. I'm not caring about that, and I don't care what the individual identifies themselves as. Again, from a, a, a political side of things, I don't really care. It's just you. if you say you're a woman when you look like a man and you were born a man, that's an issue you have to deal with. But, hey, I'm not going to sit there and poke you in the eyes because you're doing that. But here's the scenario, though. We have influence. We are. We have put government regulations into this. We have put things like scholarships and the ability for people to succeed and have careers and everything like that right. into this. And now because of that insertion, it does become a political scenario where there are consequences for the decisions you make. And so if you have a man now competing against women and there are scholarships at stake and there are opportunities at stake where these women will be denied that because we know what is going to happen. That's been proven over and over again. That's irrefutable evidence. I mean, other than a long time ago, tennis match between uh, who it was Rigby and, and the other person, which Billie I think Jean was King. staged. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, it's been very, very, you know, irrefutable that men are stronger than women. And then on the athletic field, they will always compete better. And so now you're going to be denying these people the ability to achieve these scholarships. And it's like, this is what you get yourself into, huh? It's it's an interesting inversion of reality. And I look, anybody else who is struggling with stuff, you know, if it's gender identity stuff, my goal is never to make their life more difficult. But at the same time, I have to draw a line about being um, co-opted or conscripted into their their fantasy or whatever it is they believe. Um, I don't think anybody has the right to do that. And I see people capturing, you know, the uh, the apparatus of the state to to use people to force people, you know, uh, and even in Canada. This is what got Jordan Peterson really noticed was it wasn't that he was against using a person's pronouns. If they would ask him, you know, would you please call me they or, you know, Jay or whatever it is. He's a very reasonable person. But he said, when you use the government to say you will call me this or else I have a duty to say no. And so in that in that same sense, I don't think the people who are against um, trans people competing in women's sports are doing so out of a sense of, well, it's just because I hate trans people or they make me uncomfortable or or whatever that is. Um, I I mean, I, I appreciate the sense of humor some people keep. I saw a tweet earlier today. It said I would watch Women's World Cup soccer if they would put together a team from the least likely country ever to win. At, at that soccer of guys who only identify as gender fluid women during the time they're playing soccer and, and then turn them loose and see how they do. And I'm like, actually, I would watch that too. Just, just for the sheer um, possibility that maybe we would have an encounter with reality and what you were just describing. And, and yeah, it's just to that point. And, and I don't want people to think like I'm quote unquote woke and I'm supporting this endeavor religiously and morally i do feel there is something wrong with that and i would personally oppose that but again my philosophy is my personal opinion does not in, does not come into this it's that political and and the law and the consequences of that of are we creating a scenario where it makes it unfair to others because of that and i know that could go go back and forth well you're making it unfair to the transgender people and all that other stuff 
but we have to put some reality and common sense and reason into our our the laws we make and the rules that we make that says okay if we allow this does this uh, this does this create an unequal or unattainable consequence for others nice no i i i hesitate any time legislative or, or otherwise government power is asked to deal with something simply because that's how things become politicized. And, and when things become politicized, that's when everything turns into a power struggle, which this has. So I don't know, you know, can, can we put the cat back in the bag? I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I have to ask you this, Gary, just from from your position as an observer, as, as an observer, rather, do you see this? Affecting, for instance, high school and college sports uh, in your home state of Utah. Is, is this going to be the big deal or is this is this a preemptive solution in search of a problem? I actually think that this is a problem being you know, created and that we want to create a problem. So we're going to instigate this because there are going to be individuals. You can find one anytime where you have millions of people like in the state of Utah or in Salt Lake City, when you have millions and you can always will have that one that will stand out and say, okay, I want to do this and I want to do that. And if we placate them and we say, yes, you can, we're going to let you allow you to do that, then that will create problems in which, you know, now we're going to have these situations. Okay. And, and I, I really want to see people, you know, treat each other with respect, but I'm very suspicious of my governor just because he has been very woke on a lot of issues. And I'm not just talking about, you know, LGBT, you know, alphabet kind of issues, but um, everything, the masks, you know, the, the, wear the damn mask, you know, he, he wants to be on the woke side of history. And to me, that creates a kind of moral flexibility that is very questionable, or I, I perceive as questionable in any elected leader. And don't you think that calls to question though, about him where he is publicly being woke in a state that is very conservative and in a party that is considered, you know, he is a Republican. That party does not stand the same way on these issues. It makes me wonder if it's just being done, uh, if, if he's actually, you know, seeking shelter in the arms of the woke. You know, I mean, the, the Twitter mob can be a frightful thing. So, you know, you want to stay on their good sides. Seems like Ted Wheeler up in uh, Portland has tried that as well, with with not a lot of success, you know, as the, as the mayor. Well, let's let's take a quick break. We'll be back. We've got some other really interesting and important things to discuss. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, also by Monticello College and Rio del Sion Home Lots. Had Dr. Shannon Brooks on the show yesterday from Monticello College. I hope you have a chance to listen to it. It's in the archives. That would be The Brian Hyde Show, second hour for February 22nd. Today, I have Gary Welch with me today, and we're talking about a lot of different things. Uh, Gary, you and I were tossing around a number of different uh, different subjects that we could cover. We are going to spend some time talking about what has developed in terms of COVID and how, how does all of this end? There have been some interesting shifts. Anything more we need to talk about regarding uh, Utah Governor Spencer Cox or any, any of the other uh, 
uh, political things that are going on, you know, here in, in this state at the moment? Well, I'd just like to offer like a political insight, and that is anytime you have these states where there is a predominantly one party over another, you will find that there are pockets within those states where there is the opposite. So you have a very liberal state like California, Oregon, and Washington. You will find these these red pockets that exist within them. Here in Utah, we have a blue pocket. Like in Salt Lake City, there's a very strong blue pocket within a very red state. But what happens in that is when you have that predominant party, there are always those that are just they just want to get in power. They just want to have a position in government and, and get that status of being a governor and, and a legislator. And so they'll run under the other person's party. They don't care. They don't really have any ideology philosophy as far as you know what they want to do. They just want to win. And so they'll run under the other party. And I see Cox just as that. I think he's a Democrat. He, he would fit very well in a Democratic party. I could put him into a Democratic convention and everybody would love him. And yet here he is running as our he is our Republican governor. Well, and and something that you and I have questioned, and I still have this question, is will Spencer Cox be held accountable for some of the decisions he made when he was in charge of the covid response for the state of Utah this last year? And I know it's true, not just in Utah, but in other states as well. I want to see some accountability on the part of people who made decisions that harmed individuals or businesses in the name of, well, or just trying to keep us safe. But long after it was shown that the the lockdowns weren't slowing the spread of the virus, those policies continued and in some cases intensified. Now, Utah, I don't believe was one of them, but a lot of places were. I still want to see some accountability. And I don't even know what that looks like, but I don't want people to skate on. Well, you know, we tried. That's not good enough, at least in my mind. So one of the things that you and I have argued since the very beginning, when this first started happening and the data started coming out that was kind of looking different than what we were being told, was just be transparent to show us what you use to make your decisions, what data was in front of you when you were making these decisions like this, shut everything down. What did you have in front of you that told you that would work? Or was there other information coming in that's saying it wasn't work? Because just in the public domain of what we were seeing, we were seeing evidence that was saying, hey, these shutdowns are not going to work. They are not going to be effective in doing what you're doing. In fact, they can make things worse by stretching it out and making it longer. And there were tons of evidence coming out saying this is the case. So if this was a situation where it's 50-50, 50% of the information said, hey, these are going to work, and 50% says they're not, then I could kind of see it. Okay, it's a judgment call. You made the wrong call, but it was a judgment call fair and square. But what if it wasn't? What if there was a preponderance of evidence that was saying, hey, guys, this is not going to work, and they say we're moving forward anyways? Right. Well, I I sent you a link to an article by Jeffrey Tucker, and and it's simply titled, How Does All of This End? And he's actually sounding very optimistic in this. He says, there's a sense in the air this pandemic's winding down, the toxic culture of division, fear, and hatred along with it. And what he points to, cases are down dramatically, deaths too, hospitalizations are no longer irregular, restrictions are being repealed. But he says, despite all the talk of a new normal and infinite mandates, there's hope that it could all unwind quickly, pushed by the force of public impatience and frustration with the restrictions. 
and this one really hit me, a political scramble to avoid responsibility by running away from all they did, all that they did for the last year. And these are some of the symbols and signs he listed. Um, And I want you to comment on any of these that jump out at you, Gary. The politicians who overreached are suddenly being held accountable. Look at Andrew Cuomo. Look at Gavin Newsom. They're both spending turns on the hot seat. And calls for governors and mayors to resign consume state and local news. There is clearly major political tumult building. He also says the great Barrington Declaration scientists now can barely keep up with all the requests for respectful interviews now that it's becoming clear that they were right all along. And then you have the experience in open states like Florida, Georgia, South Dakota, and so on that makes it impossible to ignore the grim truth that the lockdowns achieved nothing for public health, but did harm health, businesses, liberties, law, and civilized life. Give me your take on this. Scapegoats, you know, that they will find certain individuals that they're going to just simply tag and say, okay, you're going to pay the price for this. But for the most part, most of them are going to get away with it. And I I believe that Cox, the governor of Utah, is one of them that will get away with it. He is not going to be held accountable for his role that he had in that because, number one, he had a governor, Herbert, at that time that he could put the blame on. And two, he can always blame it on on the bureaucrats, which is enough to this director, you know, the, the health department director and say, oh, it's their fault. It, it, it's Fauci's fault. I wouldn't have done this if Fauci hadn't told me that this is the way to go. They will always find those scapegoats and get away with it. It's when we learn to hold them accountable and just say, look, you were the person in the position, you were in the chair. And because of that, you have to be held accountable that that things are going to get done. You know, something speaking of Dr. Fauci, uh, one thing that Jeffrey Tucker points out is that there is a growing weariness of Anthony Fauci's daily word salads that have massively mixed up the public health messaging for a full year to the point that Meghan McCain has openly called for his firing. Now, he lists through a bunch of other things here, too. But the idea is there is a repudiation taking place, even if it's not, you know, a very vehement uh, repudiation. But nonetheless, there are a number of uh, people calling now for reopening the economies. And this is uh, this is repudiating some of the the same uh, movements like the zero COVID movement, COVID movement that uh, wanted to keep things shut down longer. So I got to ask, Gary, are you an optimist? Are you are you a pessimist when it comes to seeing things start to stabilize and come back to some sense of normal? Or do you think that this is going to be milked by those politicians who, A, can't admit they're wrong and B, have tasted power and found that they like it? I'm mostly optimistic. Um, For one, it's politically expedient. It's it's politically expedient now to have these releases because they're in charge. Mm-hmm. So the Democrats are in place. Now it makes sense for the media to back them up and say, yeah, let's do this so that they can take the credit of we ended the COVID crisis. So it's politically expedited to them. But here's the thing. I don't think that they're going to give it all up. I think they're going to still have some kind of mandate in there where they're still keeping some kind of grip on us. Oh, I still see. I still see at least our, our local media here in Utah. Um, one of the major television and, and uh, radio stations is reporting the COVID deaths. And, and again, I don't know if they do this intentionally, but it's it's with an eye towards. Well, since our last report. 
12 more people have died of COVID. Okay, but, you know, give us some perspective. Are the numbers down? Are the cases down? Are the hospitalizations down? I don't doubt people are dying, but I still get the sense someone's trying to make me panic, and I don't like it. Yeah, they still want to keep us scared. That That is part of the process. Okay, we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about something, a term called uh, COVID derangement syndrome. I know we've all heard of derangement syndromes, you know, for quite some time. I think, uh, was it Bush derangement syndrome that kind of kicked off the party? But COVID derangement syndrome, Donald Boudreaux makes a very strong case that this may be a real thing. We'll continue our conversation with Gary Welch right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest, and we are talking about, well, a lot of stuff, actually. But right now we're talking a little bit about COVID, about uh, the the fallout from the various policies. Uh, Gary, I think you and I are both in agreement. The lockdowns went too far. And it's, this is not a matter of because it's an imaginary virus. I think we both agree. It's, it's a very real thing. And for some people, poses a real threat. But it's so interesting to see the charts that show um, the, the curve of how the cases built and how they declined. And it doesn't matter. If you're looking at uh, California, you'll notice that it follows a very predictable pattern, just like the one in Florida, which took a very different approach and was open far sooner. Now, I'm not trying to say, therefore, you know, none of this was... Uh, you know, no, none of this was was necessary. I think a lot of it was unnecessary, though. Now, can we just get a politician to admit it? That seems unlikely, doesn't it? And it's the most critical thing, because if we are going to learn from this and if we're going to prevent this from happening in the future, we need to make sure that we are holding these people accountable and that we are being able to justify their actions or that they are being able to justify their actions. I, I have always said this in that these shutdowns that they did, it, it was just that it wasn't going to work. And I think they knew that it wasn't going to work. That's what really bothers me is that they knew that these were not going to work. If you even just look at it from a practical standpoint of how diseases are spread among civilizations and societies, and especially in concentrated centers of, of populations, it just says, hey, that ain't going to happen. You just do not understand really how the disease vectors work. And just because they had these these, you know, these guys, these scientists that they had appointed to basically like you saw with Fauci, all he was was just spouting whatever they told him to spout. He really wasn't basing it on any scientific evidence. It, it just that's my whole thing about this. This is that it's they were incompetent and it's not you know, I don't even want to put evil intentions unto them. I just want to say, look, guys. You guys really messed up. You screwed up bad. And then you try to cover it up, which shows that you know you screwed up. Right. Well, we've, it, we've got to prevent that. In the case of uh, of Governor Cuomo in New York, I mean, of course, the press soft peddled it. You don't really see a lot of strong condemnation. But had it been a Republican governor, had it been President Trump who had done something like order 
nursing home or order infected people into nursing homes. Um, you know, the, the the people who were helping Cuomo at that time, when they realized how many people were dying as a result of that policy decision, they came right out and said, yeah, we withheld that information from our official reports because we were afraid our political opponents might use that against us. That's a legit concern, but that's not a legit reason to not tell the truth or at least reveal the whole truth. You know, if you're big enough to if you got your big boy pants or big girl pants on and you're there making decisions for people, you have to be accountable for it. They did not want that accountability. Now the blowback is beginning. So I've always said that this is just going to take time. And and I told the other wrong thinkers this back in, you know, even in November that you you got to give it a little bit of time. And we did see that that weariness starting to take place in November, December. We started to see that pushback occur. Now we're seeing even more of that being pushed back, and that's still going to continue. So I agree with that article that the, the derangement, that, that mass hysteria that we all went through, like all other mass hysterias, they have a time limit. There, there are always a time limit on those, and we, eventually we come out of it. So this is where us as wrong thinkers, we have been always saying, hey, everybody, this is wrong. This is not right. Your dad is wrong and whatnot. Now we're going to start to be justified in our, our criticisms and our, 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 our reasonable approach to this. We have to push that. We have to absolutely push that. As these people start coming around, as the reason starts taking over, we've got to absolutely say, okay, now – we can't do anything about the past, but let's make sure this never, ever happens again in the future. I think there's something to be said, too, for the fact that, look, politicians generally are going to be opportunists. It's, it's very rare to find one that isn't looking for a reason to look good and to remind people, here's why you need me. But they only are allowed to do so. They only get to do so when enough people go along with whatever it is they're saying, when enough people are hanging on every word that they say. This brings me to the article by Donald J. Boudreau. This is from uh, the American Institute for Economic Research. And he talks about why he believes that COVID derangement syndrome is real. And just to put this into perspective, when he talks about COVID derangement syndrome, he's talking about a, a mindset in which people set aside or, or place above reality People place above reality um, what their government officials are doing because it makes them feel safe. So in this case, uh, I'll, I'll just give you a direct quote from him. He says uh, this lack of proportion. This he says this sudden ignorance that our lives are inescapably filled with many different risks that must be traded off against each other. This treatment of covid deaths as being categorically worse than our non covid deaths all combined with a blind faith that politicians and bureaucrats will use vast powers wisely, prudently, and effectively. He says, that's what I call COVID derangement syndrome. And I mean no disrespect to people who feel like, oh, well, you know, we had to do this. But uh, that's a pretty good description. That's an excellent depiction of, of you're putting blind faith in people who are very eager to exercise power. I see you nodding. Right. Well, it, because it's a big thing that I've always talked about it in history tells us so much about how we should be able to do things. And the, one of the things that history tells us is our founding fathers knew this. They absolutely do this. And they were saying, look, guys, these people are no smarter than you. 
we, we've been dealing with these parliament and, and Britain and the king. And what we have discovered is they are no smarter than the rest of us. They're not wiser. They don't know anything. They cannot predict the future any better than we can. Why are you giving them power? If they were these geniuses and they had all of these abilities, okay, we get it. They, they're worthy of it. But we haven't found a single individual yet that is worthy of it. Something Donald Boudreaux points out, too, is the problem comes not just from the idea that, oh, well, politicians, you know, they're, you know, their mendacity is the reason this happened. It more comes from the overestimated dangers of covid combined with the underestimated under underestimated dangers of lockdowns. And and this is something that I think he makes the case. He cites chapter and verse. These are some of the reasons why. He says, I would describe the media's, the public's, and even the government's reactions to COVID as being hysterically excessive. And being an economist, he crunches the numbers. He talks about how COVID is disproportionately lethal to the very old and ill, and heavily so. And although it's indeed very dangerous or unusually dangerous to very old people, it's not even close to being a death warrant. And and he, again, goes through the numbers, which the American Institute for Economic Research has been extremely adept at crunching and coming up with, I think, very plausible explanations of what we can learn from the way the cases have gone, from the way the infections and deaths have gone versus, you know, the the various policies that have been implemented. That's my big fear, Gary. I don't want to see I don't want to see politicians pointing and saying, well, you know, we take credit for this thing is finally dying down when, in fact, that's what viruses naturally will do after they have run their course. Well, that's the thing that bothers me the most is that that information that has not changed since last February. Last February, we knew this. Wow. The, the data was out. It was saying this is the case, that it, it's only killing these certain individuals. And that's a very small popul- part of part percentage of our population. And yet this is why I'm saying this transparency of what did you know and what were you reacted to? Because if that information was on your desk and you are looking at that, how in the world could you say we got to shut everything down? That just doesn't make any sense. Yep. And, and, and you and I have worked very hard to help people become aware of the uh, um, severe negative impact on economic activity that comes from lockdowns. Nonetheless, there is terrible misinformation and misunderstanding out there and and i guess as much as it may sound like well you guys are just venting you know and getting this off your chest we really want to make sure that we're correcting some of the misconceptions out there so we don't repeat this mistake yeah never give them power because if you and i are wrong about something it just impacts our just you and i maybe our families right. when they're wrong about something millions of people suffer because of it well and and it furthers uh, the damage done by panic. Panic is is contagious and it corrupts our ability to make good, solid decisions. And uh, panic has definitely been a tool that has been used and is still being used in regards to COVID. We've got to take a break. We'll continue our conversation. We'll be back to finish up with Gary uh, Welch here in just a few moments. If you'd like to uh, send some comments our way, by the way, can I invite you, please check out the show notes at the com. You'll find links to the various articles we discussed. There's a handy place right there at the bottom of the page. You can send us your feedback, and I really, truly appreciate that feedback because it keeps me on course. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program brought to you in part today by Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. If you have commercial insurance, you have uh, already figured out that it can get complicated in a big, fat hurry. This is why I want to recommend Landmark Risk Management and Insurance to you because they have the uh, they have the experts, and I mean the people who really, they do this day in and day out. They can help you navigate those rocky waters and know exactly where you stand, and that saves you time, which in turn saves you money. But you can contact them by going to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com down at the bottom of the page. Nice little link there for my sponsors. Click on it, and it'll take you right to Landmark Risk Management and Insurance. You can also tell them thanks for sponsoring the show. All right, Gary Welch is my guest. We have been talking about uh, COVID-19 and COVID derangement syndrome. Gary, is is Donald Boudreaux being too harsh to call it a derangement syndrome? Should he have softened that up? No, not at all, because that is a very accurate description of the hysteria that people go through. And this has happened time and time again in history. We can see multiple, multiple um, occurrences of this happening where there is this mass hysteria that occurs. And it's part of our social makeup. It's part of our mental makeup that we are going to do that. We are a social species. We There are some herd mentalities that we have within our species. And one of that is this mass hysteria. We saw that as recently as 9-11. That created a mass hysteria that allowed those who wanted to exploit that hysteria to do so. And they passed some legislations and they did some things that were very anti-liberty type of, of actions, you know, basically playing on that mass hysteria. And you will even see these guys talk about it, that, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. That Absolutely. that whole mentality. Well, and something that Donald Boudreaux points out in his article is he says, justification for his skepticism of the popular narrative about COVID, COVID rather, is just enhanced by how politicians act when they know that people are in a state of panic. By the way, pundits do this as well. And what they tend to do is they play fast and loose with the truth in normal times. But when people are panicking, they're even less constrained to speak carefully and accurately. And that is what costs us deeply when when some of these uh, economic realities are ignored and, you know, they put in the hard, hard lockdown and, well, that's OK. These businesses, you know, this is all for safety. And um, I don't know. I heard Biden yesterday talking about how, you know, 400,000 businesses have closed their doors, closed their doors forever. And it really takes effort not to point out. And whose fault is that? Right. And so you now you get the other thing that we get into it. That's a new phenomenon is data manipulation. And so like in his article, he was pointing out that twice as many men, middle-aged men have died from this as women. And, and if you leave that data just all by itself and you don't put it into context, everybody goes, oh, wow, this is killing middle-aged men. No, it wasn't. It was really, really low. When you put it into context of how low a percentage that was, man, this thing wasn't even hardly affecting them at all. But that's not what they told you. They're telling you it's just twice as many men have died from women. Therefore, you should be afraid. It's the same with the they they changed the narrative from COVID deaths to COVID infections. Do you notice that switch around the November, December time frame? Yep. 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 The narrative had to change. 
And and this is the problem. People don't t- tend to notice some of those little things unless they're really looking at it. So there's uh, there's a lot more misinformation out there than there is accurate information. And, and, and that's not a clever way to say everybody's dumb but me. I don't think that for a moment. I'm just saying that the people to whom the vast majority of the population looks for uh, understanding and reassurance about what's going on are, are not uh, giving them solid figures. They're, they're playing fast and loose, and it, it shows. And that's why people, you know, get into, uh, they get into mask enforcer mode. I don't know, Gary, have you seen the, the video out of, I think it was a Trader's, Trader Joe's in uh, California, where yes, a whole group yes. of people went in. And look, they went in there to, to no, this is a maskless protest, you know. They went in there without their masks to show we can do it. But, the boy, the response of the employees was, I mean, it was just, just this side of violent, ripping groceries out of their hands, throwing them away. We don't take, we won't take your money. Get out. You can't, your money's no good here. And wow. I mean, in, in another place in time, you know, it would have been followed up with the words, filthy Jews, you can't shop in here. You know, I mean, it, that's where that kind of rigid, inflexible mindset can lead if you're not careful especially by those who are going to exploit it and take advantage of it. Now, here's the thing. We always come out of these mass hysterias. That's that's another proven fact is that it comes on, we go through it, and then as time goes on, we start waking up and we start realizing, hey, wait a second, this is not matching up, this is not right. And reason and logic will take over because we are reasonable, logical human beings. So it does take effect. But then the thing of it is, is what do you do about it afterwards? Have we done anything to correct the wrongs that were created out of 9-11? Have we done anything to correct the wrongs that are created out of COVID? Because if we don't, if we don't go, we're going to have to live with these things forever. And they're more than happy to, you know, they're, they're now spouting the the new derivatives of COVID. And maybe we need to wear masks. I thought, I think Biden said it not too long ago. He could foresee us wearing masks throughout the whole year of 2021. Yeah. Oh, and, come on, Joe. And I've, I've heard even a few health experts that have said maybe through the end of 2022, which to me speaks of they they have a hold of power. They do not want to let it loose. They just got to keep that little spark of panic alive inside our hearts so that they can justify whatever it is. Now you have to do this. Now you have to do that. Now do it on one leg, which is what it feels like. Right. And so you loosen it up as the hysteria rolls off and then people start resisting as that push comes back. You know, we start pushing back. But they don't totally let go. So you can't let them hang on to the mask. You're going to because what they're hoping for is you're going to say, well, it's just a mask. I don't care. It's not that big of a deal. And I'll do it. No, you've got to say, no, we're pushing back on everything because it's wrong and it doesn't do any good. And we don't want you to force us to do something that we don't have to. Okay, let me get your opinion on this, Gary. Can we handle one more year of masks and social distancing, in your opinion? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think that there is enough of the sheep mentality that if they did make it something like wear masks in only large public spaces with more than like 20 people or so, um, and they, they kept the thread up like we have to do this because of the new COVID derivatives and whatnot, it could work. I, I would hope not, but there's a part of me that says they could get away with it. Well, I guess that's why we do what we do, right? 
This is why you and I talk about the subjects that we cover, because we're, it's not that we're, we're trying to uh, control what everybody thinks, but I certainly want to correct some of the misinformation out there that is leading us down a path that, uh, that we really don't want to go any further down. I mean, we allow them to scan us in airports long after that threat has been proven and long after it's been shown that those scans really do not do anything for a terrorist a threat. And yet here we are with our hands up in the air over our heads while they are looking beneath our clothing, you know, at us. Um, and we we're just going, yeah, that's OK. That's fine. Yeah, it's it's a scary thing to think where that has led and, and where this could could be taking us as well um, once it becomes the new normal. And and th- I think the thing I find hardest to, to deal with, uh, thankfully, I don't have to deal with this a lot is just the mentality of, I have to control the people around me. Case in point, somebody tweeted something the other day. I guess it was this morning. I saw this. A lady on a plane said, oh, my goodness. She says, a guy sitting two seats away from me just reached over and tapped the guy sitting next to me on the shoulder when the guy next to her pulled his mask down to take a drink of water. He was actively drinking his water, and this other person tapped him on the shoulder and said, could you please put your mask back up where it belongs? over your nose and then said your convenience does not outweigh my need for safety and she said i have to spend the next two hours with this mask and she said the b word on this plane <laughs> and i was like "Ooh, that would be hard i think I, I think i would have a hard time being that kind easygoing guy that i normally want to be so one of the things that i always love warning people about is always be aware that there are Nazis among us. There are always Nazis among us. Yeah. Yep. And and I think look, rather than trying to root them out and go chase them, I mean, okay, we're not all going to be, uh, what was his name, Eli Weisenthal. Or, we're not going to go chase them all down. But take care that you're not one of them. Don't let that attitude come into the world through you. Or at least that's, that's the best advice I can give. Don't be that person. Gary, Wonderful to talk with you. Thanks again for some enlightening conversation. Awesome. Okay. We've been talking with Gary Welch. We have links at the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. I would encourage you, please take a look. Thank my sponsors. Tell them thank you for helping to keep me on the air. Consider becoming a patron if you find value in what you hear. And we'll see you back here tomorrow. This is The Brian Hyde Show.